0: at Deloitte.com slash US slash Engineering Advantage.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Why? because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
0: Hey everybody, it's Dan from the VergeCast the next week or so, we're actually running a mini-series on the feed called Pirate Radio. It's three stories about how pirate radio continues to grow and exist. We already ran a story earlier called Outside the Wire about the United States' propaganda efforts in Afghanistan. I'm here with Kevin Wynn, our features editor. What are we doing today?
2: The story's called Dial-Up. Uh, it's about the Hmong people in the Midwest and the very unconventional ways they run their pirate radio stations.
0: Very cool. Here we go.
2: I'm Kevin Nguyen, features editor at The Verge. One thing about having your email address listed on a website is that you get a lot of email. I get dozens of pitches a week, but sometimes in that deluge of mail, you find something really special. Like, there's this time I got this one subject line. How one Asian diaspora is reimagining the conference line. Actually, that's a terrible subject line. Hey! Sorry, just being honest. By the way, this is Mia Sato. She's a freelance writer based in Chicago, and she's the one responsible for this very bad subject line. Hello. Anyway, I opened the email and uh, Mia had outlined a story about how Hmong people had for years been using conference call lines, the most dreadfully boring technology that exists, to make something really weird and really quite wonderful.
3: There are 20 calls. do you go ahead and do this? K.K.A.B.C. Los Angeles, store.
2: What are we listening to? So that was just a little bit of a radio show. But it kinda sounded like we like were it said like there were twenty three listeners. Like it kind of reminded me of like being in a conference call meeting. Well you were.
4: This is a really interesting kind of radio show. For one, that language you were hearing was Hmong.
3: Goku atu is New York giant,
4: Bomber. The Hmong people are a small ethnic group. There's just under 300,000 of them in the United States. And what makes it so interesting is that these shows, of which there are many, are all run through free conference call
2: software. And do you speak Hmong? Not a lick. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, how did you even find these conference call radio stations?
4: So I am from Wisconsin, and I think that automatically separates me from a lot of Americans and that I know who the Hmong people are. I grew up around Hmong folks. I grew up around their culture and their arts and their language. And I knew that they had really specific news needs,
2: And that's because there's just like not a lot of media that's written in Hmong, right?
4: Right. Yeah. And the Hmong language has a very relatively short history in its written form. Also, they didn't have a written form of their language until about the 1950s. So when I was an intern at the Wisconsin Center for Investigative Journalism, I wanted to know, like, how they got their news. And I wasn't really getting satisfactory answers. They said that newspapers, you know, aren't really too popular. They have, like, Facebook groups and things like that. And then super offhandedly, a source I was talking to mentioned the telephone radio shows. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Once I found out about these lines, naturally, I went to do research to see if anyone else knew about this. And lo and behold, a former professor of mine had authored a whole paper and was and currently is working on a book on Hmong Media.
5: My name is Lori Quito-Lopez, and I'm an assistant professor of communication arts at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. My research is on different forms of Asian American media and for um, my research in Wisconsin I've been looking at Hmong American media.
4: This was totally new to me and so I sat down with her, read her research, and she had been doing extensive studies and interviews with folks, Hmong folks around the state, trying to figure out what these lines were and how they played into Hmong American culture.
5: So basically, these are 24-7 radio stations that Hmong American people tune into just using their cell phones. So they have a conference call, and it just runs all day and all night, every day of the week. And it's set up pretty much like a radio station where they have a host who is assigned to sort of facilitate conversation about a certain topic every hour of the day, and they stay on a schedule so that they can know what they're going to listen to, whether it's going to be conversation about health or Hmong culture or religion or just storytelling or maybe singing traditional songs. I would say it's the most popular form of mass media in the Hmong American community. Right off the bat, she said she is not aware of
4: any other media forms like this or people using this technology in this way. But that said, there are elements to this format that are similar in some ways to more mainstream media forms. So, like, it's like podcasts or normal radio in that you use your voice to communicate to your community. But it's also kind of like citizen journalism and media because it's participatory. So people don't just call in. They also speak back to the host. But then that kind of sounds like a chat room. So it's all over the place and it's also not bound by geography. So as long as you have the phone number, you can call in from anywhere.
2: Yeah, I think the cool thing about it is that it's not necessarily illicit, but it is kind of like a like a form of like pirate radio. Right. Like it exists to speak to uh, a marginalized community that doesn't often get spoken to, um, and in this case, literally in Hmong, and then it uses a technology in a way that it's not supposed to be used. You know, it's like kind of subversive in that way.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really like on their own terms. So there's a lot of agency that are that's given to hosts and owners of the lines where if you were a Hmong person and you wanted your own line tomorrow, you could you could figure it out, right? And you could do it. And you could you could find hosts amongst your friends or families and be like, do you want to have the Thursday at 5 p.m. slot? You can talk about whatever. So it's very led and
2: shaped by by the community for the community. So why do you think the, the conference call radio shows work specifically for Hmong people? It sounds like at least according to Professor Lopez, that no no one else is doing this?
4: Yeah, it's a really complicated question, and it has a lot of layers to it. So, you know, even within the Hmong community, it isn't for everyone. It seems like it's a lot less popular for people, you know, say my age, second or third generation Hmong Americans. Um, and the community isn't monolithic, so opinions are divided, to say the least. So I would say it's hard to pin down just one reason why this
5: format works for them, but
4: Professor Lopez does have some ideas.
5: So first I would say that it just being an oral medium is really resonant for Hmong American people. So they have um, a rich oral culture where singing songs and telling stories and communicating orally is really important. And also there's a history of older Hmong people not being literate necessarily in English or Hmong language. And so if people's lives were really disrupted by the war, then they often didn't get to learn how to read and write. So then they come to the U.S and they have a history of really communicating well orally and having a need to really listen to stories and tell stories. But then I also think that it being on their cell phones is also what made it really take off as a mass medium. So then just having a cell phone, they can just turn it on, call the number and tune in. So you can see
4: the rise of these programs is really complex And there's a mix of technological changes, wider accessibility to technology, and maybe just a few people with a really clever idea that others eventually latched onto. But I think to really understand why people are so active on these lines, you need to also understand the history of how the Hmong people came to the United States. The Hmong are an ethnic minority with origins in China and then later Southeast Asian countries like Laos, Vietnam, Thailand, and they've experienced persecution for hundreds of years. Even before I began reporting this story, I heard Hmong people refer to themselves as a people without their own country. That's because they were forced to flee violence and oppressive rule over and over again. In the 1960s, United States forces recruited Hmong in Laos to help resist the spread of communism in Southeast Asia. And that conflict is called the Secret War.
0: Hmong soldiers ran spy missions deep inside enemy territory, even entering China to tap telephone lines there for the CIA.
4: During that, tens of thousands of Hmong men and boys were killed in combat, in addition to about 50,000 Hmong civilians killed.
0: Their casualty rate was 100 times higher than that of the United States in Vietnam.
4: In the years following the conflict, hundreds of thousands of Hmong people were essentially scattered around the world. And some Hmong who left their homelands came to the United States, where they settled mostly in California, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. There are some Hmong people in France and Australia, but the vast majority still live in Asia. So if you're a Hmong American and you don't live in an enclave like St. Paul or Fresno or Sacramento or Milwaukee, it's likely pretty normal to not encounter another Hmong person in your day-to-day life. Basically, you have this diasporic community that is all over the world, with a rich oral culture and innovative, easy-to-access, semi-digital spaces that they've basically made for themselves, and they've been doing this for years.
0: Support of The Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash VergeCast. That's all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash VergeCast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash VergeCast.
1: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience.
2: So you talked to some of these DJs, right? I did, yes. And like, I guess, what is it like to run one of these lines?
1: So
4: these people are really invested in them, and they spend a lot of time running them, organizing them, keeping things running smoothly. And many of the hosts and callers I spoke to also described really meaningful friendships they've formed through the lines, the same way that you and I might talk about internet friends who you uh, know in some sort of removed or isolated context, but you might never meet them in real life. But that said, they're still your friend and you still share part of your life with them. One person connected to the lines that I spoke to was Mii Vang. She's 53, she lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, and she is prolific and beloved by her listeners.
6: I don't have time to volunteer outside of home to my community. And by hosting my own show in the telephone conference, that's my community work to my people. That's my Mm -hmm. volunteer work to my community.
4: She hosted shows for about a decade. Earlier this year, she finally quit hosting. She got too busy with other things, but her shows mostly focused on relationships, personal growth, and especially cooking.
6: Teaching people cooking on air. So they would come and listen to me, and then they can go home, take my recipe, and cook at their home. And I also talked about multiple subjects of self improvement, ranging from how to culture- discipline children, or being a mother, or romantic relationships or any kind of relationship with people or just keeping up your house, cleaning, anything self-improvement I talked about on air.
4: Listeners loved her cooking shows. She said that throughout the years, they've sent her all sorts of gifts in the mail after hearing her talk through recipes on air. And they would send her like dry foods and kitchen utensils like pasta machines and traditional Hmong accessories. And one even sent her money when her son graduated high school, which I thought was really funny. Wow, that's amazing.
6: Hmong people traditionally were not as open talking about relationships in general or romantic relationships in general. And romantic relationships is a topic that I'm very passionate about. So I was amazed when I first called in and talked to them. I was amazed how much we have changed and able to discuss such topics publicly openly
4: one of the stories of hers that stuck with me the most was about mother's day and father's day on the lines
6: mother's day father's day celebration we didn't have those back in blaus Hmong culture traditionally doesn't have many
4: holidays, and Mother's Day and Father's Day were something that Hmong refugees new to the United States had to learn when they first came here. So the idea of having a holiday dedicated to outwardly expressing love and gratitude to your parents was a new thing for them.
6: We did not have a social opportunity to appreciate our mom and dad, and then they died, and then this telephone conference become available, and we have the chance to socially let the world know how we feel about
4: our mom and dad. A lot of Hmong folks that I spoke to, they were like, we never said, like, I love you. We showed our love through actions and by being, you know, good children, and our parents showed their love through taking care of us. But... That verbal exchange was just not part of their traditional culture.
6: The first few seasons, people were just crying, crying while they delivered their message to their mom or dad on Mother's Day and
4: Father's Day. And back in June, right around Father's Day, I got the chance to hear what she was talking about. So it's a Friday before Father's Day and I call in right at 6 p.m. The show is supposed to go from 6 to 8. There are about 20 callers on the line when I initially call in, and they're all there to listen and share what Father's Day means to them or tell stories about their dad.
3: Okay, Mia, are you here? If you're here, could you come and say hello to everybody? You are now unmuted. Hello.
4: So I introduce myself on the line, let them know who I am and what I'm doing, and they know that I don't speak Hmong. So a few of the callers on the line spoke English and translated for me here and there or shared their stories about their dad in English.
7: I would like to talk about my father. So because Father's Day is this Sunday. So,
4: One woman, um, by talked about this being her first father's, father's Day after her dad died last fall.
7: For us that doesn't have a father anymore, when Daddy comes, you don't know where to go. So you could go to the cemetery and bring him flowers, but it's not it's not like when he is here that you can see him and talk to him or even just be here visiting him, so to me, Father's Day is a day that I do cherish, and I will always remember um, even though he's no longer here. I think that I remember I remember his smile, his face and his love so father's father's Day is very very important to me. And I am very happy that I am here in this country and that I'm able to share and I'm able to celebrate and just share this special occasion of Father's Day with my family.
4: That stuck with me. And I think it's because it exemplifies so much of why I find these lines to be really special and incredible it seems like a lot of Hmong American cultural evolution happened and continues to happen on these lines. I think it's sort of amazing that people like me, Vang got to watch that happen in real time within her community on the lines. And Mother's Day and Father's Day are just two examples of that cultural evolution and change. When I initially called into the line, I thought I would just be kind of in the background, listening and recording. I had it like on speakerphone on my cell phone in my kitchen while I was making dinner. But about halfway through the call, just when I thought the callers had forgotten I was there, they invited me to join, <laughs> first asking me to talk about my own father and then asking me questions about myself.
7: Can you, can you share some of you? now unmuted. Experience with your father with us too? Since we're all talking and you're not just listening, sure. Can you share some of your experience with your father. Yes, I would love to.
2: So you've been researching this story for months and, and this is the first time you've spoken on it, did something kind of like crack open for you um, once you kind of had a first hand experience?
4: Yeah. I felt really grateful. The whole process of reporting this story, I was and still am an outsider to this community. And so they were really welcoming I'd called in and listened for research many times to this line, but I had never actually spoken on the lines before. I had never been unmuted, so I was pretty nervous.
7: Um, So
4: my father is from Japan, and um, my parents met when my father came to Wisconsin for school, um, for college. And so my mom is American from Wisconsin, and my dad is Japanese, and They come from two completely different cultures and worlds. You know, I love my father. He's still alive. I'm really thankful. Um, And one thing that is hard, though, is, for instance, I won't be able to see him this Father's Day because my dad lives in Japan, actually. Um, You never hear English on these lines. And here these people were, like, translating for, like... The girl who doesn't speak Hmong, who is for some reason interested in what we're doing here. It was really kind and really just a wonderful moment. And I even halfway through the show, they were like, hey, Mia, like some of our normal callers, they don't speak English very well and they don't know what you're saying. So we're going to switch all to Hmong now. Is that okay?" And I'm like, oh, my God, like I am an intruder here. Like you do what you need to do. It is totally okay." But they opened their space that they created for themselves to an outsider, and they expressed how happy they were that I was, that I joined them that day and shared with them that day, so it felt really rewarding, and I felt really humbled to be there.
3: You are um, welcome here anytime now. You are the Hmong sister now. <laughs> okay. Oh, All you need to do just learn more that you can come and join us, and I'm going to give you a program that you can hold. <laughs>
4: Miss Lee, the woman who owns the line I called into, sees what she's doing by owning and operating a line as a form of community service for the Hmong people. She talks a lot about wanting to do this despite being busy, because she cares about the people on the other end of the line, and not just on Father's Day. For many Hmong people, this is part of everyday life.
3: I mean, I'm just happy that, you know, in America, we have something like this, that it doesn't matter where we are. We all can stay in touch. We can learn from each other, and it's a way of making friends, it's a way of uh, changing people's lives mm-hmm. through the Tell Conference. That's all I, I know.
2: This special episode of Vergecast Pirate Radio was made by Mia Sato, Andrew Marino, and Kevin Nguyen. Fact check done by Maya Hibbett. Special thanks to BAM Studios in Chicago for letting us record. And a shout-out to Neelai Patel, Verge EIC, for letting us, in the spirit of pirate radio, hijack VergeCast.
1: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals